0: Anybody seen Bobby Lupo? Hey, Bobby Lupo, for like ten straight minutes. He's a, he he really is the most Trumpian of the action stars, I think. Yeah, for sure. in the sense that every scene is just a kind of how he views himself. So no matter how awful he is, clearly like objectively being on screen, there's someone there to be like, "Wow, we love you." <laughs> you're a mate you're an amazing guy and he's like hey fuck you you stupid bitch i don't give a fuck about you and they're like what a guy you're saving the neighborhood yeah the contradiction of how we see him versus how he sees himself is on display in every scene of the movie miles from civilization arm, huh? but just one subway stop from
1: manhattan
0: hey you want a party brooklyn
1: <laughs> they were friends
0: ever since we was little
2: born on these streets
0: yeah. you know, one of us family now after 15 years Who would i ever thought that i would become a cop eh? they will play cops and robbers one more time <laughs> But this time...
1: Richie got out of the car and just stepped up. Bang.
0: It's no game. Three of his crew were with him. Steven Seagal. If I know this guy better than anybody else. I know the neighbor better than anybody else.
1: Out for justice.
0: <laughs> I'm going to keep coming back until somebody remembers seeing Richie. You
1: know, you know I'll win
0: All right, so we're talking about 1991's uh, Out for Justice. Uh, John Flynn... Uh, of Rolling Thunder fame, uh, directed uh, *Out for Justice*. It's me, your host Ricky Camilleri, and Chris Chafin. This is Thirty Years Later, and we're joined by uh, managing editor of *Filmmaker* magazine Vadim Rizov. Hey, what's up, Vadim? Hi, guys. Jump in.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, where do you where do you want to start with this particular display of you know sick
1: allness? Is this a movie? Like, had you watched this a bunch as a kid? like
0: I will get, I will, I will get to that. I will, I will get to that. Let's do some background really fast on the movie. It's John Flynn who directed Paul Schrader's *Rolling Thunder*. If people haven't seen that, they should see it. It's a great movie. Um, and he did some other action movies of the '80s. And I think prior to *Rolling Thunder*, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. And this is, I believe, the third or fourth Warner Brothers movie that Seagal is making. This is the third um, one, I think. Yeah. This is the third. So it's *Above the Law*, *Hard to Kill*, and then *Out for Justice*. And, and then and then under siege
2: yeah, there's marked for yeah. death is somewhere in there as well
0: "Marked for death is number three out, out for justice is four this is the last one so it's above the law hard to kill marked for death out for justice a, well it's the last of the three word titles right. because under siege is is uh warner brothers as well
2: right and there's a there's a thing that i just found while looking around where um uh seagal hated the three word titles this was a big thing with like warner brothers and they were like insistent so like he had a whole fight with them about like titling it under siege because they had some terrible three word title because they wanted to keep the brand intact they were like you somehow know when you hear those three words that you're getting a seagal movie and this was like where he chose to like artistically put his foot down although to be fair under siege is a better title than whatever they had planned beforehand
0: well, the title of Out for Justice was supposed to be The Price of Our Blood, yes. which meant Mafia Blood. And that's what John Flynn and Seagal wanted. John Flynn, who hated working with Seagal. <laughs> but the um, the studio wanted a, three, a three-word title like Above the Law, Marked for Death, yep. or Hard to Kill. I'm for it, personally. I think Out for Justice is a great oh, title. Oh, I think it's way better than um, The
1: Price of Our Blood. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Especially for an and action movie. I mean,
0: come on. I can't back this up, but this is according to uh, Jesse Hawkins's podcast, um, Junk Filter, who they did out for Justice Order this week. And he kept saying that Seagal thought this was going to be his on the waterfront. Um, he thought this was going to be his dramatic move. And it turned out to not be that whatsoever. <laughs> and the other slight background on this movie is that there was an incident on the movie with a stunt supervisor named Gene LaBelle, who Seagal had said that he his juju, his judo training uh had made it so that he could never be choked out. He was he was immune to being choked out. And he let uh Jean Labelle do it and Jean Labelle choked him out to he shit himself in front of the crew. <laughs> it's just oh. God man, it's such a great Seagal story. That's like of course that he would that push happened. it to the
1: point of actually letting someone choke him out. Like that's the amazing part of that story when he knows that he is lying. Like, or does he know that he's lying,
0: you know? The other background is that uh William Forsyth, who plays the villain in this, I think a great Seagal movie villain, um, his scenes got cut down because Seagal uh didn't think that um did, thought that he was stealing the movie from him. So he had them he forced them to cut down a number of his scenes. And it's I think it's also why, including running time, why there's two montages in the movie that don't really make sense <laughs> because they were just like trying to cut the movie down as much as possible. Um, Well, this guy, William Forsythe,
1: he's kind of famous to me because I used to watch that Untouchables TV show. Did either of you guys watch this? That was on in the 90s. He played Al Capone Mm. in this show. And it was like,
0: oh, that's good casting. He's
1: great as Al Capone. Like in my mind, I forgot that it was this kind of cheesy TV show. And when I saw him, I was like, oh, yeah, isn't he Al Capone in that really successful, critically acclaimed movie? I was like, oh, no, that's just that TV show from when you were 10 that you remember.
0: Um. So, Chris, you had asked like if we guys, if I remember this, this is the movie specifically. I I was asking Vadim actually,
1: Ricky, like just to be totally fair, like yeah, let's give Vadim. Like specifically, I was trying to get his opinion on it. So, like,
2: I don't have the background. I just like I got to explain. I didn't have a TV till I was ten. I didn't have cable till I was fourteen. I'm, like, wow. 35. So, like, you know, up through, like, 2000, all of that kind of canon of, like, basic cable stuff that people saw over and over and over again, like, I never saw it. Like, I never saw, like, Rocky four till I was, like, 27 or something. And I had to go to, like, BAM and watch it on a print. Like, 10 years ago or something, I, in, like, when Netflix had this stuff on, like, all the time, I ran through the first four Seagulls of the mm. Warner Brothers cycle. And there's not a really great reason for why I did this. I was just like some shit to watch at night, you know? And it's like, you get the 40 and you just do the thing. And that's, that's kind of the vibe. And I think at the time I was like bemused enough, you know, like, these are not the worst action movies. These are not like the really bad Chuck Norris movies. They're not like completely inept, but it is shocking, you know, like, and it was shocking to me then. And it was surprising to me that like just how unpleasant he is as a human. Being. Yes. Um, you, Ricky, we talking, I think before we started rolling about, you know, like there's this kind of gap between how he wants to be perceived and how we perceive him. I think the moment that really jumped out at me when I watched it last night was when he's driving through Sunset Park, um, and like some woman is like, You wanna fuck? and he just starts laughing like a maniac. And he's just like in complete disbelief that this could possibly happen to him, you know, a self-styled man of honor operating in a dirty world when we know for a fact that he's one of the worst sexual harassers and aggressors on like the you know the yes.
0: planet in his bracket. Um yes. know, when he one of the hardest one of the hardest parts of watching this movie, any Seagal movie for that matter. Is when a beautiful woman shows up, I immediately fear for her life behind right. the scenes. Yeah, right. I fear, like I fear for her safety, and this kept happening in this movie. Like Juliana Margulies shows up for a minute, and I immediately am like, "Oh no, I hope nothing happened to her behind the scenes." And then I look it up, and something did. She fucking went to his hotel room to do a reading, a scene reading with him, and he pulled a gun out of the couch. Oh my God. And then he was like, he was like, started hitting on her, and she's like, had to get out of there. He pulled a fucking gun on Juliana Margulies. Right.
2: I mean, there's, there's also when he meets Gina Carano for the first time, and she says, "Like I can still get it wet. How about you?" And he was like, "I'm surprised you can still eat with that mouth." And I
0: was oh, Gina Gershon. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Gina no, Carano, okay. God help us. Uh, yeah, I, want, I mean, they would do well together. Those two, I think. <laughs> no, when she said
1: I could still get it wet, I was watching this movie with my wife, and she was like, "What the fuck is that? What the fuck is that? I've never heard that before in my life." Like,
0: <laughs> well, then doesn't he say something to her like? you know, what do you want a blow job? And he, no, you were never like, that you were good. Ne- yeah. you, you were never that good. It's like, Oh God, who taught like what hero of the movie taught? He's the hero. This isn't like a complex anti-hero character. Right. Well, so this
1: is one of the things I think is really interesting about the movie is, um, Steven Seagal, uh, Every scene that he's in where he's beating people up, everyone else in the scene is going like, what are you doing? Stop it. You're being so crazy. And they're like, oh my God, he hit me so hard. So it's like, I I found myself identifying with all the other characters in all of these scenes where he's supposed to like storm into a bar and beat up all the mobsters. But I was more on the side of the mobsters who were like,
0: why are you doing this? please stop <laughs> like, yes, you know. well, I do wonder if it's supposed to be an antihero in of in some in some way, like if he's supposed to be like a street tough antihero who's going too far to solve the crime or you know because his friend got killed, and we're supposed to kind of be like they're, they're the movie's clearly very scared that you're not going to be on his side because they give him a puppy. For multiple scenes, he holds a puppy and is like, Look at me, I love puppies. I'm not a piece of shit. I love puppies. And then he puts the puppy down. And he's like, You fucking whore. Where's Bobby Lupo? And she's like, I don't know, man. I'm just like standing here trying to smoke a cigarette. <laughs> like he's like then he breaks her arm or something i mean it was funny that he literally like, saves
1: the dog right like i mean it happens and it doesn't make his character any more likable that he does it
0: literally saves the dog in the first 10 minutes of the movie like someone got this someone got the screenwriting book out and was like he's got a you were like gotta, if, oh not a cat we will do it like okay
1: steven seagal is a real piece of shit and also i know this character is not written very well so we have to add in something here
0: <laughs> vidim i'm curious so you went back and watched them and you said that they were you know, they weren't that bad. They're not the worst of the action movies, but I have a fondness for the movie because I grew up watching these movies because of my dad and out for justice was his favorite specifically because of the pool hall scene where Seagal beats people up with pool balls and a sock and the guy spits out his teeth. I remember my dad just loving the moment where the guy spits his teeth out. Um, What was it like? If you don't have nostalgia for it, is it just kind of like, kind of boring to watch
2: no i mean it's fine i mean like i think the first time i watched it like eight or nine years ago i was like oh this is a john flynn movie you know like i'm kind of dedicated yeah. to that and i'm watching it's like even watching it last night like all the crowd scenes outside are like kind of nice you know there's like depth and like bridges and there's like all these extras standing around it's like we have production value this is like nice looking there's one genuinely good thing in the movie which is the car chase um in oh, sunset Park. oh, oh. Where he's driving yeah. over all those like bumps and like the with the with the long lens and it's cutting back and forth. It's like, that's cool, that works. Yeah. Um I think the but I think even in the stuff that's like I don't think it's boring, in part because he's such an unbelievable asshole, in part because <laughs> like there is the kind of entertainment value of having the cast just filled out with, you know, massively overqualified people often showing up to not do very much at all, like Jerry Orbach. Um there's and then like this pool hall scene, right? Which he, I believe, is cited as his favorite of his um of, of all of his fight scenes. Um, there's a weird thing going on here. Like you're watching is like this is kind of like cause you know, like the he's not averse to kicking people in the nuts. He does it like all the time.
0: Loves it. Loves it. Like, it, it you have this
2: kind of like spectrum, you know, like on one end of the spectrum, you have Jackie Chan, who's basically benevolent. You know, you never watch a Jackie Chan movie and seem to deliberately break somebody's bone and snap it back. And like, Seagal is just such a shithead. And all these setups are so fast and the cutting around him, because obviously these people who he's flipping or punching or whatever are doing most of the work, right? Like, and it's all Mm -hmm. staged in a way that's actually pretty plausible-ish if you don't think about how fast they're cutting around him. Like, it kind of works, but it's so massively unpleasant. So when you're talking about like, was somebody worried that we wouldn't like him? Like, I think that's his target audience, right? Like people who really <laughs> want to beat people up with impunity and know that they're right. And there's so he really is the Trump of action stars. I really, I really kind of feel that way. And, you know, I, I kind of hate it because it's like so like facile twenty twenty one. Like we're still you know, I gotta agree. compare everything to that, but it's hard to think about because of the authoritarian tendencies that are kind of ironically. Yes presented to this and the night before I watched Under Siege, which I had never seen. Which is kind of like it kind of reminded me like the setup of how, at least in those two movies, is like how we approach the Seagull character is basically the same. Like he's this guy, he's got a certain set of skills. Um, he jokes around with the fellows a little bit or like establishes a little banter, and then like all fucking hell breaks loose. You know, like that's kind of the deal. I think what makes Out for Justice maybe a little bit quote unquote special. Um it's not the only time he's done Italian American. But um, the fact that he has two dramatic monologues about
0: his Italian upbringing. Yes. Yes. Oh, we will get. Please yes. let's 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 Amazing. Let's hold Amazing. the phone on that one because that's going to go into my favorite part section of the podcast. Right. <laughs> but, um, but I do
2: think it's. I think it's it's an asshole to asshole thing. I really
0: do. yes. Um, well, I. Well, I
1: mean, I just with the same thing you're saying, like. I think what's unusual about this versus a current day like action movie, even like a fighting movie or something like that, is the way that it's in love with violence, not with like fighting skills or with action set pieces, but just with like violence and I think that gets to what you're talking about, about the way Seagal does the fighting stuff. Cause he is the guy that's like deliberately breaking bones. I mean, that's like the favorite, the the famous thing from under siege is him breaking bones. In this movie, he like shoots someone's leg off. And it's, I feel like the movie wants you to be celebrating
0: all this stuff, right? Like it's cool. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I did. <laughs> I did. When the leg gets shot off, I'm pretty stoked. And the guy's going, that Oh, my like- leg. Ah! <laughs> that, I mean, that seems less like a Seagal thing and more like a John Flynn th- thing to me. That like a like a a, a post Peck and Paw inspira- inspiration kind of yeah. thing on John Flynn's part. Because uh, I found the shoot. I actually do like the shootout at the end, but I don't like the final fight scene, which which will which which we'll get to. But very briefly, we should say what the movie's about, which is just that Seagal is a cop in <laughs> Brooklyn. His partner is killed by a crazy crackhead wannabe gangster played by William Forsyth. The mob is after Forsyth for killing the cop and Seagal is out for justice. And he's just Says, storming-
1: Just a shotgun and no badge and all. Yeah,
0: he, he's just storming wherever this guy could be or could go and beating the fuck out of everybody um, that is there in that very uh, classic Seagal way that Vadim was detailing, which is like, does he really know how to fight? <laughs> I don't really know. He just kind of like, claps his hands together and they cut around someone flipping over right. and him breaking an arm i had this i had had this memory when like i saw a seagal movie as an like as an adult right one of the more recent ones and i was like god this guy is so out of shape there there's so much cutting around him to make it look like he can fight he used to be a good fighter because i had only seen them when i was a little kid right. and going back and watching them was like wait he was he ever a good fighter? I think Van Damme is more plausible than this shit. Van Damme is the most dumb dumb stuff. I don't
2: I don't think he ever I like you know Van Damme is actually like a trained skilled guy. Chuck Norris is yeah. boring, but he was also an enter the dragon. You know, right, like he kind of, yeah. you know, like you don't really have to cut around Chuck. Like um Seagal's ex-wife claims the only reason he has a black belt in Aikido <laughs> is cuz the judge fell asleep. During his exhibition.
1: The judge he was um, notoriously lazy. <laughs> there's
2: there's a story about how, like, before, you know, when Ovitz was making the hard push to get his client Seagal in the door at Warner Brothers, that they staged this outdoor demonstration where all these guys are coming at Seagal, and he kicks all of their asses. And the person who's telling the story is like, well, it was all staged. And I'm surprised none of the executives ever picked up on it. So I don't think there's any reason to believe that this guy was ever a good fighter, like, at all. I don't mm-hmm. think he was, like, a chained martial artist let alone like a multi-martial artist you know like because there's sometimes that stuff is like it's a mix of aikido and like judo or whatever it's like i don't know like he's running a dojo in japan before he comes back to the
0: states right what's he doing the dojo? is he his wife's dojo right it's his mother-in-law's dojo i think oh his mother-in-law's dojo that's right But he's supposedly doing
1: stuff there, and then he has a dojo in Los Angeles when he comes back, right?
0: Right, but we don't really... I mean, for all
2: I know, this is one of those, like, you know, you gotta sweep the floor before Mr. Miyagi teaches you what to do type of scenarios. Like, we don't actually necessarily know what he was doing at that dojo,
1: like... Well, so there's this great Spy magazine article that you sent us, Vadim, that right. where, like, where you know, eventually Steven Seagal sued the author of the piece, right? And it's it's this huge, you know, investigation, expose, takedown of him. And one of the central questions of the piece basically is, given what you're talking about, that he's not a fighter and he's completely right. full of shit. And Michael Ovitz was pushing to get him his career. Like, why exactly was Michael Ovitz doing this and like auction bargaining with the careers of his other clients just to push Steven Seagal's career? And the piece is kind of makes it seem like steven seagal is somehow connected to the mob and somehow michael ovitz owes a favor to the mob like i feel like is the argument the piece is trying to make between the lines um right do you know anything about this story for real for like beyond this
2: i i mean eventually that guy jerry Nasser ended like they had a falling out over money and uh i think Nasser was convicted of trying to extort seagal actually like so there was a actual mob ish connection of sorts. Um, the article that you mentioned also basically says that anything he says about being in the CIA or having even been contracted by the CIA is bullshit. And it is kind of notable that, like, he's the only person who felt the need to ride with that persona, you know, like at his start here. One thing that I think the article kind of missed, and I only realized it looking at the box office for these movies, because they're just, and I was just like, it's that agent, weird agent sense. It was like, maybe I, Michael Ovitz knew something or sent something that other people didn't, because those movies made an enormous amount of money. Brief
0: yeah, Out, Out for Justice, we should say, was the third movie in a row to be number one at the box office. The, fir- the third Steven Seagal movie in a row to be number one at the I mean, box office. And he had office. a
2: hot, like, five years there. It's not a joke. And he is the author of his own misery by making on deadly Ground. That's on him. But, like, <laughs> apparently, I was just like, what if Michael Ovech got it? Maybe Michael Ovitch saw this, like, sullen, unpleasant man. There was like, millions of American men are going to love this. Like, this is exactly what people want.
0: Right. Like an unhinged personality, narcissistic personality disorder. And he was like, you're a celebrity. Hmm. Like you're a natural celebrity. Yeah. You have to do this. And, I was and, he, and he's owning,
1: it. he owns a big part of it. Right. So it's like, he gets to own it when the success happens. And it's like, because he picked this insane person, Steven Seagal who doesn't know anything about anything, you know?
0: So the other thing about out for justice is that it's a, sort of uh Seagal's Return to Brooklyn. It's his big Brooklyn movie because he's been telling everybody that he is a born and raised Brooklyn kid. The Hell truth yes. is that he moved out of Brooklyn when he was five. It's not really true. He doesn't really know anything about Brooklyn except for the, his mob ties. Um, and so the movie opens with a with a, a quote from Arthur Miller. Uh, it is, while to the stranger's eye, one street was no different from another, we all knew where our neighborhood somehow ended. Beyond that, a person was a stranger. (laughs) It's almost like it's it's like it's like they did. It's like if Google had existed then, and they were like, "Oh, Brooklyn writers." uh, Uh, Quotes about Brooklyn. uh... Quotes about oh, it's a quote about a neighborhood. Okay, well, like let's throw it there. Like it doesn't really have that much tie into the movie thematically or anything. I mean, I guess it does because he's going through his neighborhood, but so unnecessary. (laughs) And it adds no gravitas to this movie whatsoever.
1: So occasionally I was thinking about this like as a New York movie like how this ranks as like a New York movie um, and yeah because it's got the Arthur Miller quote obviously um,
0: and it's got no sleep till got Brooklyn, no sleep till Brooklyn yeah, yeah.
1: which is a pretty good sync like when the needle dropped on that I was like this song is like cliche you've heard it a million times but I was so happy to have it happen in this context. I was like this rules I'm glad I hope I wish they would play the whole song. <laughs>
0: And they just show like him driving. It's just under
1: a car the- driving through a parking lot. And they're playing No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Twice
0: it goes one way, and then it goes back the other but way. But the Beastie Boys For make this- it
1: compelling. I think you know, like. But <laughs> um, wait, wait, I think the most New York thing about this movie is there's a moment, and I didn't write in my notes what's happening, but I think it's oh, it's when the it's at the very beginning because of course we open on some pimps and some prostitutes uh, yelling, and then the pimp is beating up one of the prostitutes. And uh, he yells at someone, "If you don't like it, turn your head." And I was like, "Oh, that is what it's like to live in New York. That is like the perfect distillation of the New York attitude." Like,
0: <laughs> I love that opening. That basically it's a cold open because it has nothing to do with the rest of the plot of the movie. It's just a scene of Steven Seagal blowing a stakeout. It's a huge <laughs> like being being a shitty. Cop like we got a three million dollar drug
1: bust. We're about we're about to do it in one minute
0: and then murdering a guy. Yeah. Like I think he murders. I mean it's pr- he has to have murdered that he man. He throws him through a windshield right? of a car. He throws yeah. him head first through a windshield after beating the fuck out of him. So our hero opens the movie by being a bad at his job and murdering a human yes, being. Yes, but
1: he was rescuing someone, Ricky. That's what you're not understanding. He was very honorably rescuing a woman who needed rescuing.
0: Yeah. Well, it it still kind of does not work. For, no, I don't for think me. it works. It doesn't
1: work. I don't think it works.
0: Um, and then we're basically introduced to, to Richie, the villain who Segal grew up with. I said that, and he, um, who does? Who's the first person that he kills? Is it like a? Is it a drug thing or like other other gangsters? He kills the cop.
2: Who? The cop. Oh yes, he, he kills, kills Bobby. Licole, the he cop. kills him in front of their family. You know, like it's the whole thing.
1: And later we find out he actually killed his girlfriend even before that.
0: Right. But then after he kills Bobby, he does what I think is the coolest thing in the movie, which is he pulls an innocent woman out of the driver's seat of her car and shoots her in the fucking face. And I honestly... That's a strong scene, yes. and I was kind of gung ho with the movie from from that point on.
1: What I really love about that scene is, um, so the villain is he's going crazy, he's smoking crack in the car, and he's like par- blocking the whole road with his car, screaming at his goons, right? And there's a scene we hear a beep, and we look outside, and it's a woman who's leaning out and she, uh, leaning out of her car, and obviously the villain's in the wrong, and the woman's in the right, and the woman gets a full like close up where she does such a good job acting. I really do. She's got such like, um, impatience, but vulnerability in her eyes. And she just seems, and she goes, you know, come on. And she's saying like, you know, you're wrong. Like, just come on, move the car. And she's doing it so great. And he jumps out and shoots her in the face.
0: (laughs) And as he's like walking up to Shooter, the guy's in the car going, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Fuck, he's going to do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was really rough. I mean, I think this is one of the, I would love for you to weigh in on this, Vadim. Like, what do you think? uh, So so I guess eventually the bad guy, the villain has a motivation, but I was impressed with the way he was just absolutely unhinged the entire movie and doing like literally the worst thing you could think of in every single scene with no motivation at all. Like just to be
2: bad. I mean, it's like the tail end of the uh, inner city crack scare scenario, right? Like, the, the slight difference here is that we have a white guy doing crack, which is somehow even worse. Like, it's corrupted our white youth. So, that's actually a problem. And Segal has to go apologize to the guy's dad, and the dad has to accept that his son, you know, like everybody keeps blaming it on the drugs.
0: Our white youth, William Forsyth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our youth well, you know, from the Italian yeah.
2: American neighborhood. Like, whatever. Like, yeah. Um, and, but there's the. Because you know, it's like there's the relationship to Death Wish three, and like a certain kind of like recurring hysteria about this, and like so the opening is very generic that way. You know, like there's a bunch of people standing outside. The streets are filthy. You know, later he drives past, and there's the trash fires. Like this is part of a pretty normal cycle of I think this kind of thing. But yeah. I mean, there's a different. There's a, like a different movie. Like some smart ass would do this now as like the dark gritty anti hero revamp from William Forsyth's point of view, right? Because Seagal's like, his wife's like, why, why is he here? He's like, he's not going to leave because he wants to die in his own neighborhood. So like at the very beginning, without any of this being clearly explained to us until like almost the very end of the movie, William Forsyth has decided that he's going to do the one thing that he knows will result in his death by the end of the night and proceeds to live his life accordingly, right? It's just like if you're going <laughs> to... And that's, that's kind of the thing. Like he knows that there yeah. is no point at this movie where he tries not to die. Or leave or make peace with everybody. So he's just like, it's a bender, right? And like, that could be interesting, except for the fact that like, here we are and it's being executed in this way.
0: Right. Instead, it's like, it's like, instead of leaving Las Vegas, it's leaving Sunset Park (laughs) starring William Forsyth. And he's just Seagal very early on in his career to me was already alien you know like there are some actors who you can imagine doing casual normal things and then there are people like Tom Cruise and it's like you just could never imagine him doing anything human every like everything would be like an interpretation of how he views human humans to do it and Seagal at one point picks up a baseball glove with his son and it's like come on let's go play catch and I was immediately like oh my God, I don't think I've ever seen Steven Seagal throw a baseball. (laughs) I want so badly to have that moment where Steven Seagal tries to throw a baseball on camera. I bet it is hilariously terrible. Like, not to be macho like Seagal, but I bet he throws like a girl. Oh my God, Ricky. First of all, so you mean he does a good job throwing? Is that what you're trying to say? Like Trump, not to keep going back Mm. to this, but he is very he is a very effeminate yeah, tough what guy. i think
1: would be amazing about watching him throw a baseball is he would believe that he is good at it no matter what yes! happened like yes you
0: know. he'd be like he'd like throw it it wouldn't go very far and he and he'd be like, you ever see anyone throw a baseball so good <laughs> they told me back when i was in the cia i could have gone pro i did my I'm the only ball i'm from- the
1: only american to throw a baseball in japan
0: i
2: liked also the overlap with the uh the, because this is the same year as Hook, right? Which is traditionally we credit with the origin of the terrible conflict where like a dad really has to be at his child's theater performance, but he has he has a big meeting scheduled that day. There's always like this thing about having to choose between the meeting and the kid. Generally, this is resolved by the boss being so impressed by him for choosing family over business that he gets the promotion anyway. You know, like something like that. This is actually an extreme version of this. This is extremely lazy, like trope being born kind of screenwriting, <laughs> where like there there's something missing here, right? Like there should be a scene where the kid is like, "Oh, Dad, I love you." Now that you've gone and like killed everybody and avenged your friend, like there's that I little piece missing at really. the end because he's disappointed the child. The child is like, "Once again, my dad has not made time for me." Like apparently, this happens every weekend. That's yeah. at all custody of his kid.
1: There's a great line read of the kid where he says. Uh... We're going to play ball or what? (laughs) Which was like, had a great energy, didn't have not like, he didn't seem to be in love with his dad in that moment. So yeah, it doesn't get resolved at the end. You're right. Like, it's just, but at that point, who cares? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, you're thinking about the little kid, like, you know, this movie doesn't.
0: I mean, I I think in Steven Seagal's head, it's like, what do you want? He's a little kid. He's going to love me no matter what. I'm his dad. He doesn't need a scene. Yeah. Yeah. I can do whatever I want to him. (laughs)
2: <laughs> but then, by the end of the movie, you realize that really the only reason the kid exists is to have an extra body on screen that could possibly be shot, thereby motivating Segal yes, to yeah, go right. and kick ass. Like that's ultimately what this has been about the whole time.
1: And the wife and the ex-wife right, get, when... is the same thing. Like people that he can protect. You know, I
2: think the wife. I think the wife falls in a different category than the kid because the kid literally has only one scene of dialogue.
0: Yeah, the wife has multiple scenes, and then has an like. Why isn't the kid even in the final scene of the movie when he's having like a happy walk off into the sunset with the wife? (laughs) Why (laughs) isn't the no? The the dog has taken the place of the wife. (laughs) The sign, yeah. the dog yeah, the is The dog there. is the son. The dog they is the forgot. son. just you forgot. Know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the wife
2: is there to affirm the fact that Steven Seagal is not a sexual predator, but is in fact a good man who defends women. Like, that's actually what her function yeah. is. And her other function is to forgive him, right? Which she does inexplicably after being treated to one of these fucking monologues that he delivered.
0: After he gets informed that Bobby Lupo has been killed, he goes to the crime scene and he's suddenly wearing a beret yeah is this a is this a guardian angels this is for the curtis leewell fans in the audience like absolutely it's the same vibe well we should explain like briefly the guardian angels were like a vigilante group a kind of vigilante group in new york city in the late 70s early 80s because crime was out of control and the cops were saying they couldn't do anything and all that stuff so there's a group of men who wore berets and like paraded around the streets and were uh, supposed to be protecting people. I don't know if there were any controversies about them or anything like that, but that's generally what they were. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that's that the generally story. What they were. So after this, this is when he decides that he's going to, you know, seek justice. He's going to go out for uh, justice. And this is a moment where I, I, I realized that I, one of the things that I liked about this movie is that it does kind of move like a bullet. Oh, like, it yeah. doesn't really stop for anything. It barely cares about the story. And it is kind of fun to watch William Forsyth. Not Seagal necessarily, because he just, he's kind of hard to watch. But I do like a well-budgeted, trashy pulp movie that moves very, very quickly. And I sort of dug it. And Forsyth is like you're saying,
1: just chewing the scenery like crazy. Like in every scene, he's smoking crack, or he's like grabbing a woman by the hair, or shooting someone in the face, or screaming at people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He also shoots a guy in a wheelchair for just (laughs) for fun. And they're (laughs) like, he
1: wasn't gonna rat, and he's just like,
0: (laughs) but then then you start getting treated to once again, like Segal's driving around the neighborhood to find out where um, uh, Richie is. And he just start. he just, everybody he comes into, they're like, you know, they say, I don't, Steven Seagal's character's name, what is his character's name again? Oh, God, Gino. Gino, yeah. They're like, yeah, they're like, they're like, Gino, Gino, so good to see you. How's your mother? You're such a good man. You're such a great man. Like, he meets this, he sees this little kid, and the little kid's like, Gino, it's so good to see you. I love you, Gino. Like, out of nowhere, everybody is just praising this fucking cop. It doesn't very, make any sense weird. whatsoever. Yeah, Well,
1: it's, I, it did remind me part of the magic of movies is that you can just pay people to f- allow you to film them saying how great you are. <laughs> just like... Which he must love must've been great. I'm sure he loved every second of it.
0: And then this is when Seagal starts just going to bars and picking fights with yes. people. <laughs> like going to bars and they're, and they're all like, hey man, what are you doing here? The guy you're looking for is not here. And he, and he like, will call them gay or something and then punch them in well, the And they're face. also, because they're,
1: like, they're always like- They're all like, please stop doing they're that. They're always like, oh my God, I'm so sorry about what happened to your friend. I don't know about our friend. He lost his mind. It's totally insane. And Steven Seagal then, then starts beating them up. And you're like, they're on your side, basically. I'm like, what?
0: There's one moment where he's beating the shit out of people and someone in the background, like off camera goes- what a fucking prick. And I was kind of like, yeah, saying, the guy's right. The gangster's right.
2: I also, He's a prick. Uh, Chris, you had give your, your shout out for you know unexpectedly decent and unnecessarily good line reading earlier. And I want to give a, a quick shout out to Anthony DeSondo, one of the many people who gets beat up in this movie as uh, the luckless Vinny, brother of William Forsythe. Uh, the very first time that we, I believe, we see him, it's when the mob guys come for him first, and he has the thing. he's like, I need this. I need this shit. And I was like, it is. It is a kind of relatable moment, you know, in a generalized sense. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because... That's the guy that he, he smashes his hand in the bar, right? Because the guy's he's about to pick up a gun?
2: Yeah, I believe so. I think so, so. Yeah.
0: And then Forsyth comes in later and beats the shit out of him again. Yeah, but there he's, <laughs> he's
2: also the only person in the movie who like does a halfway decent job of standing up to Seagal for more than like 10 seconds in a plausible fashion. Uh, I looked yeah. up Mr. DeSondo. Um, I think this is one of those malicious edits that somebody made once and proliferated and was copied and pasted over and over again. And it's not true, because the end of his... Uh, Wikipedia says that he is also a licensed massage therapist. I was hoping that perhaps I could find a website, like, you know, get a massage from one of the stars of Out for Justice. (laughs) Looked it up, didn't find anything. So I I regret to inform you guys that may not actually
0: be Oh my God. I would pay so much money to be getting a massage. I don't get massages, but if I was getting a massage and it somehow came out that the massage (laughs) therapist was in Out for Justice and he's like working my back and I'm like, so ah, what uh, what was Steven Seagal... You know, what was he like? And he's like, oh, he fucking suck. He was such a fucking asshole. That's the best <laughs> massage. Uh, that's the greatest massage I could ever get. <laughs> oh. That would be amazing. Oh. Um, he uh, this is also around the time that he finds the dog. Some random guy. Th- it's not even like in the script. Well, right. He's driving down the road and some random guy throws a dog out the window.
1: Yeah, which it's just That's a garbage it. bag, but like somehow Seagal knows that it's a dog because of the way it's like. I, I think
0: this it. might be again part right. of the uh,
2: you know law and order. I hate littering. I think I think <laughs> it's right. sense of propriety that this trash bag might cause an obstacle, possible car right. pileups. But then he thinks to open it, which would it, I mean, and it's not really rustling at that point. Out emerges this dog, which of
0: course he names Coraggio, which is not <laughs> great. And then he, doesn't he hold the dog and he says something along the lines of like, oh, Lord, let me find the person who left this dog. I I hope I run run into that
1: guy again.
0: I have to say, uh, it's not really part of the plot, but Seagal kind of looks like shit in this movie. (laughs) Like I was watching Under Siege earlier before this podcast. and I know you watched it. He looks better in Under, like, he looks like he lost a few for Under Siege. In this, he looks kind of bloated and beat up and like he started drinking a lot he does not look very good in this movie
1: one of the things i love about that spy magazine article that you sent vadim is like um because of it being written in the early 90s and being spy magazine there's like certain things that you wouldn't find today even in like the meanest thing which is like there's at one point there's a picture of seagal and the caption is like notice the amazing muscle tone especially around the biceps and pectorals <laughs> Seagal looks like well, such like a bloated a... piece of shit in the picture.
0: So then he uh this is where oh we meet Jerry earlier we met Jerry Orbach. There's like another montage, and in this montage I have written down that one of the the type of montage where people are just talking for an extended period of time in them and you should be hearing what they're saying. Yes, right. But right, like right. it doesn't like it's just like a shot for 40 seconds of him and Jerry, a static shot of him <laughs> and Jerry Orbach talking. You're like, This was supposed to be in
1: the movie in a different way, like for sure.
0: Right, like you can't show people talking in one shot this long without giving me some ideas to what they're (laughs) saying, but they're just like trying to hit the 90 minute mark and out for justice, (laughs) I think. Um, and then uh, we meet Gina Gershon, right? And she uh says that she'd suck his dick, and he says you were never very good Uh, at it, and then he throws her in jail.
1: Yes, by the way, of all the people that he's shook down in this movie, he hasn't even like disgust arresting any of them but the second that he meets a woman he's like all right you're under arrest you're coming downtown which i thought was pretty fucked up
0: yeah he throws her in jail and she's like i did it's another moment where you're like this guy is such an asshole she's right she didn't do anything yeah he's she's at and her he's club like, and gonna...
1: he's like pulling all the stuff out and he finds like a little bag of coke or something or what is the thing that he eventually says he's arresting her for it's like
0: Nothing. He takes her down and says that he's going to book her on prostitution charges, which aren't true. So he's basically just going to ruin this woman's life for you know, because he thinks that she might be involved with something. And then it turns out that she's not really she involved a- at yeah, all. Exactly. Yeah, she knows very little about it. So he was totally willing to fuck her over.
1: Again, I just yeah. finding myself I, I'm never on the side of Steven Seagal in any scenes in this movie. Like, I really... And I'm of somebody who's overly empathetic, usually, in a film. But like... I,
0: and then you're also in that scene going, "Oh, Gina Gershon, like I hope everything was okay behind the scenes." Yeah. Like I hope nothing happened with Steven. Cuz wasn't
1: this a movie too where he was accused of sexually assaulting several people involved in the I election? don't think that
2: there was one where he wasn't, honestly. Officially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is kind of this is kind
0: of a, a running motif throughout his career. Um this is the one where in Spy Magazine his assistant was brushing her teeth yes. in the trailer yes. or something. Yeah. And she came out of the bathroom and had like some toothpaste around her mouth or some shit. And he said in front of a group of people, you look like when I come in your face. Yeah, it's nasty, um,
2: cool
1: cool stuff. Awful, cool like stuff. just
0: an awful human being, Yeah, but also like very much in line with his character. That is something that his character would say and, but if it was in the movie, everyone would be like, oh my God, Gino, we love you. You're so funny. You're so funny, Gino.
1: And the woman would be like, hmm, maybe so. Let's try it again.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, we uh, Around this time, Junior, Junior Soprano shows yeah, amazing, up again, amazing. who plays Richie's father. And he shows up to basically be like, Gino, kill my son. <laughs> Just kill him. Just kill my son. Well, the first, the first, the first time he begs him not to kill his son. Right. Yeah. The second yeah.
2: time he is like, you know, sometimes you have to accept that their son has become an animal who is not worthy to walk yes. the face of the earth or something like that. So, yeah. You know, again, we have these like very like high, low um, uh, verbal disjunctures between like basically, hey, fuck you, suck my dick. <laughs> and like the high tones, like, you know, man of honor, mafia discourse, men in dark rooms sipping whiskey um some i saw this terrible thing years ago it's not important what it was but i just remember in the middle of this movie it's supposed to be a mob movie paul sorvino just eating a gigantic steak surrounded by multiple topless women
0: i was like this
2: is a little bit well that's more how you honest, know it's a serious film
1: right? that's how you know it's a serious film
2: but that's i was just like this is a little bit i mean even one of the things i was i was never like a huge godfather kid like obviously i've seen it a couple of times again it's because of the lack of tv thing not to like 16 but there is this thing right like somebody's trying here it's like there's these dark rooms and these oh, old yeah. men but like it is and also the score
1: the there's like a knockoff the, score thing happening with the yeah, yeah
2: but then there's also like your i think it's you know around the time that there was a lot more like regular widespread mob reporting as the prosecutions were really hitting place and there's like a certain sense of falsity that starts to emerge versus you know things that are semi-specific like the crime boss lives out in long island apparently and he gives his instructions while swimming in the pool um this is this is strange um (laughs) and it just doesn't really pass the whole you know i'm not certainly a mob aficionado but, the, you know, like this movie doesn't pass the Italian-American test by like 15 million miles. But it also doesn't <laughs> pass. Because like, it wants to, somewhere in its rotten heart, you know, actually be like a serious Godfather Part 3 yes, yes, no, something. Yes. Um, and it's just not there. And,
0: and on that note, we reached the monologues. Yes. Oh, boy. My favorite is the second monologue. So we'll get to the first one. Which one was the first? Who does he deliver the, the first, first one? Model? is
2: when he insults Don Vittorio and he walks outside right. and the guy's like, why did you insult the old man like that? And he proceeds to tell him a story.
1: That, as I recall, has no bearing upon the question.
0: No, no, neither of them do. Neither. Of not
1: them at do. all. Not at all. It's but, just about uh, how he. It would be like Goodfellas, right? He literally says, "Like, long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a wise oh, guy."
2: Oh no! And he's like, "And and who would have guessed that you would be that I would be a cop, and now here we are under God's sky." Um... <laughs> It's just unbelievable, Um, and I I guess the point is that they've reestablished their like Italian American old neighborhood stuff together, which means that he will no longer have pissed off. I mean, it doesn't come up for the rest of the movie. It's the last interaction he has with the old man, so it's kind of irrelevant. That is, I, I prefer that monologue to the second one.
1: I do. Really? I like the first one, too. I, I thought it was so deranged. Uh, you guys are wrong. You guys, I are wrong. Was, you guys are wrong. It was something kind of charming about it. Like, I was like, I wish the whole movie was like this.
2: I mean, it's first of all the, the ludicrousness of the nine-year-old, and I mean the story itself is just like absolutely ridiculous. And the, you know, like, <laughs> my you know, Uncle Pino takes me to the movie theater with a the guy locked in the trunk. You know, like whatever. Um, but then also, I like the walk and talk part of it. You know, like the second part is just like this long, deadly close-up of Steven Seagal talking, and the first <laughs> yes. is like. Are they outside you know because theoretically they're outside it doesn't really look like they're outside but theoretically and he's like gesturing and they're surrounded by these terrible gardens that aren't well lit so you can't really see anything that's going on link
1: fence there right isn't there yeah and then you know, they, the they, first one no sorry well, they keep be...
2: talking and like the the poor schmuck that he's talking at has to do the active work of responding to him because they're both in two shot so when he's talking at his wife she doesn't have to give you like two, a minute and a half of continuous reaction phase. But this poor guy has to go overtime, you know, to look extra charmed and delighted. Um, and he's also a oh, lot of good- yeah. mm. he's not a yeah, he's a pretty good actor, you know. So the more he starts to like warm up and like
0: gravitate towards him, like the worse it feels. And I kind of enjoyed that. The first monologue feels like it's directed by John Flynn. The second monologue feels like it's directed by Steven Seagal, <laughs> and that's why I like the second monologue because he shows up at his wife's place and she's kind of like warming back up to him and senses like, you know, that he's a man of honor and he's doing the right thing. And she goes, you want to come up for some tea? And he goes, yeah, okay. Oh, it's after he's shown her the dog. He's shown yes. her the dog and she's warmed up to him, just like we have as an audience. We saw the dog and she, uh, she says, invites him up for tea. He says, yeah, cut to, he's sitting down and he's, I remember when I was a boy <laughs> and I, my grandfather oh. would take me out to Coney Island <laughs> We'd go out to the boardwalk and he delivers this deathly monologue that is so boring, but like, it is so actorly and monologue-y. Like I immediately wanted to like write it down and go to an acting <laughs> class somewhere and be like, today I will be doing uh, a monologue from the movie Out for Justice starring Steven Seagal. It just feels so actorly. And then he finishes the monologue and it's like you were saying, you know, it's just him. You don't see her. But then when they cut to her, she is sitting on the floor and he's sitting on the couch and she's just looking <laughs> up at him with these big doe eyes. And I was like, Steven Seagal 100% directed this scene. <laughs> Steven Seagal 100% was like, I feel like I would be above her and she'd be sitting on the floor like looking, looking up at me, at me like oh
1: my god,
0: She's just in... You know, I'm, deli- I'm telling her this and th- I'm opening up to her. I'm never very vulnerable. And she's just in awe. And at that moment,
2: they, I know because that is the impression he's trying to convey. You know, a taciturn man opens up and says what he's really thinking. But I was just like, that's the old drunk at the bar, right? You get to hear this shit every <laughs> night. The time, like, for all sure. The time.
0: Oh, because the monologue is so bad, right? And it's exactly like the drunk at the bar where you're kind of like, wait, who? What? What are you right? talking? No one gives a fuck what you're talking she about. Actually are you talking? Why are you talking about your before, childhood? Because
2: she has to prompt him. She's like, that was your dad, wasn't it? And I was like, yeah. You
1: <laughs> well, well, theoretically, this is his ex-wife, right? I mean, she's never heard this story before. Yes, that's, oh, the oh, thing.
0: that's the other thing. They were married. They have like an eight-year-old child, and he's telling her like, kind of maybe a story you would tell on like a second date you know like oh i'm from brooklyn and like my dad used to take me to the boardwalk it's really nice you know (laughs) well
1: i think this movie a very deep story actually has a really weird thing where it like it's breaking the storytelling rule of like, it's never the first time. Like that's sort of this like UCB improv rule is whenever something happens, it's not the first time it happened, but continually throughout the movie, all of William Forsyth's friends and family, they're like, we can't believe he's doing this. He never acts like this. Like we have no idea why this could be happening. And every time Steven Seagal walks in somewhere and beats people up, they're like, what are you doing, Gino? My God. (laughs) Like,
0: a really good way to put that monologue scene because it is like it's the first time he's ever talked to right, her. Exactly, and she's in awe of him, like she's never had a long conversation with him um, before. Uh, I have something written down in my notes. <laughs> this must be the 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 friend of the of of the process, of the girlfriend of Bobby Lupo. I have written down love to watch Seagal taunt and destroy a woman and then comfort her immediately yes. with come here. Right? Who? Who? What? What what scene? I I can't remember what scene that is. I vaguely remember him taunting someone, making her cry, and then just going, "Come here," and (laughs) hugging her. He he has
2: discovered. uh, You you skipped a few beats here, but the movie skips plenty of beats itself, so that's okay. Um, He has discovered the Polaroids, and uh, he has put the pieces together that she probably was responsible for her husband's death and so oh yes turns turns out it was a woman's
0: fault the whole time yes
2: and so he is once again threatening somebody to get a negative confirmation basically and once he has made her cry enough (laughs) then he is willing to embrace her um
0: right and she is he's basically been like you stupid fuck you ruined your life what what were you thinking you killed your husband and she's like leave me alone he goes come here also
2: i mean after you know spending i would say arguably pretty unsuccessfully, 85 minutes trying to get information out of people by just beating the shit out of them, he's finally guessed right. Because it was the woman. Like, every time he hassles somebody for information until they finally give him something that's actually useful, it's always a lady, right? He's got the waitress. Who's Roxanne? What's up with Roxanne? He's just got to do it to him every single time. And the dudes, he just beats up. Um, So I guess it's an endorsement of emotional cruelty rather than physical cruelty. I don't know.
0: And they don't really, yeah, the dude, you're right, the dudes don't really end up giving him any Well, because we
1: see that. as the audience that they legitimately don't know anything. Like, because the gangsters come later and, and eventually we do see William Forsythe come to some of these places. But when he shows up, they're like, where have you been? Like, they obviously
0: don't know. Right. Gino's been looking for you and he beat the fuck yeah. out of us yeah. because of you. And I, just, um, I feel
2: bad for this poor guy, Venny, you know, his brother, who's like really just trying to run a bar here. And just like just... and theoretically this movie takes place within a tight twenty four hour time frame. So like
0: Which I like, which I, I do like that about the movie. I have this also
2: say. kind of raises sorry, I this is this is the stupidest kind of like, you know, IMDb goof's error, but like so well you know, he comes in, the guy beats him up, and then the next time you see him, his nose is all bandaged up. He had to go to an emergency room facility <laughs> or urgent <laughs> Do you think you could have done all that in enough time to get back in time to no,
1: get No, Vadim. This is a mo- this is a mob bar. They just have like all it's the all that stuff right. there. Yeah, that's all in the back. They have a
0: they have, they have a oh, a medic on yes. site. Exactly. Yeah, there's what you don't know is that there's lots of fights in that bar, fighting on a regular basis. So they have to have a medic. on They site. cut out there's this part where Vinny waiting. is
1: like, again with the pool cues. God, I gotta get rid of these. Like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. So he goes. Segal goes to the the girl who's in the Polaroids with Bobby Lupo, and uh, she's dead. And he's he's with this other woman, and that leads him there. And then he gets to the house where Richie uh, now is with Juliana Margulies and uh, some other women who I, I believe are supposed to be prostitutes. Right? I believe. It, I, believe I believe they
2: were, but that that woman might also be her sister, although this is not entirely clear to me.
0: Okay. And they're all, Forsyth is smoking crack and hanging out. Oh, I also want to say one of the faces that's in Forsyth's gang is uh, because we did the movie and I've seen it so many times, is the actor in King of New York who uh, goes with Frank after Frank kills the Italian guy at the card game. There's like one guy left in the room and Frank is like, you're all welcome to come. And some guy like goes, it's like a a very Abel Ferrara shot where he knows it's kind of bad, but leaves it in anyway, where (laughs) a guy's like, Okay, 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 and walks off camera. <laughs> um, but Seagal shows up at the house, and there's the final shootout. And one of the things that I started to realize at the end of the movie, um, because I'm slow, which is that everything always goes well for Steven Seagal, yeah. like, there's no drama in this movie, there is no moment where he might get hurt in the fight, he gets shot once yeah
1: at the very but end but then even yeah. in
0: the final fight of the movie he just kicks the shit out of william <laughs> Forsyth. like foresight does like barely fights back can't be like he can't even do it seagal just pummels him just absolutely pummels him and you're kind of like what happened to an action scene where like you know who is the hero gonna win i don't know and it's like no seagal is gonna win this the entire time that's it
1: I mean, he's an unstoppable object, Ricky. I mean, this is the thing is this is his character is he he comes into a situation and just creates his own reality like he can't nobody can fight against him.
2: I mean, there's the kind of sullen Ubermensch thing, but, you know, which is what he thinks he's reflecting. But again, it represents his inability to, like, present any facade of weakness, right? Because, like, generally, by this point in the movie, your protagonist is supposed to take a couple of punches or something yeah. that would yes. indicate a potential inability to make it, you know, to the end of the scene. This is kind of inadmissible in the Seagull world. I mean, I noticed this yes. in Under Siege, too, and I'm sure you probably did, too. Like, nothing gets to this dude. Like, there is not a problem here. Um, he never runs out of bullets. Exactly. Like, you know, he's always got more shells at the ready. Um, and, I, I, again, the horrible Jackie Chan thing. You know, we kind of skipped over the butcher shop, you know, face-off.
0: Oh, but okay. it's almost
2: like a parody of a Chacky Chan scene instead of like the wit and grace of like using a whole construction uh, site in order to like wreak ingenious havoc. It's just like, how do you take cleavers and like, you know, pummel people's hands, you know, like nail their hands oh, to the wall God. of it. Um, yeah. So he's uh, destructive with multiple implements, but he's actually not very creative, right? Um, no,
0: not at all. And there is yeah. the kind
2: of satisfaction of just knowing that not just that you can win, but that you can really hurt people. Um, and not just kill them, but make it painful. Um, Again, Forsyth is either trying a little too hard or some parts of the script might've actually worked out because he does have the line just before they get into it. He's like, I like getting hurt. And I was like, oh yeah. And there's the kind of like, you know, so what if he's a bottom, you know, or something? Like that could actually, (laughs) what if he's a sub, this could work, you know, he's like, you know, all these things are getting cross at this point because again, there's the suggestion somewhere in the sky of something that is far more interesting than whatever is happening in Steven Seagal's head, which is, you know, a pretty straightforward path to destruction.
0: Like we could have a kind of itchy, the killer situation here where like Forsyth is, is actually a, uh, a masochist of some oh, kind. Sure, and why not? Part, you know, he seems to want Seagal in.
1: to kill him at the end of the movie. Right. I mean, the, when he comes out for the fight, what he says is, what are you going to do? Arrest me. And he's got a gun to his own head, pulling the trigger over and over again. It's like, he wants to be killed by Steven yeah. Seagal and he doesn't, he won't take no for an answer.
2: I think also one of the things that like a little bit unique about this movie is like normally in a quote unquote cop movie when you have somebody like this running around and kicking ass there would be at least one token indication of the like what about their miranda rights fuck their miranda rights you know like that kind of element yeah. uh, in this movie I mean if you want to be a real smart ass about it, you could be like this is a movie about what the NYPD is really like because everybody's like go get them, tiger you know like nobody's yeah. like you shouldn't do that that's a violation of booking procedure that's not going to hold up in court what have you done um, they just they just tell him to go get him.
0: There's also no other characters in peril, right? Like in most other movies like this, even though the partner dies at the beginning, there would be another partner or there would be the captain, like or Jerry like he Orbach. Or there would be some. Steven
1: Seagal's son or something, yeah, right?
0: Support. Right. Yeah. The, or like, you know, that would get killed in the shootout with Steven Seagal. It wouldn't be just Steven Seagal walking in and be like, boom, 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 boom. Done. End of movie, right? There'd be like. Some, I, mean, I guess, is there? that
1: why the Juliana Margulies character is like a character at all? Because,
0: in a certain sense, like, is she well? She's a
1: bigger character than she needs to be. I kind of don't understand the size of her character in the movie, except if it's to be an object of peril at, at the end of the movie, which she kind of becomes. Doesn't
0: she just run out? Does she become an? I Isn't, thought she just ran out. Aren't they all
1: in this in the house for a, a minute during the beginning of the shootout, or am I remembering that wrong?
0: Yeah, but then the shootout happens and all the women just kind of escape. Yeah, I guess so. No, I don't. Know. But do you know what I mean? Because at first I thought she
1: was supposed to be Roxanne from the note, from the sex, but she's not. She's And she's not his... She's just some other girl that he knows that he crashes at her house. It's a very weird size of... But she has a bunch of oh, lines what, 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 and they, close-ups and...
2: The the dialogue is quick at the beginning and I think this is probably one of those things that got chopped because like, basically it's implied that she was... A sex worker and then she wanted to like go legit and he's coming back and he's raping her but as part of this pre-established client you know like mm-hmm. um a service or relationship that they have um but otherwise her whole function is to take sexual abuse for like the entire movie that's pretty much all she does uh, you know in behalf of like protecting innocents who are in her household
1: Right, like she's saying, like, oh, I'll take care of you. I'll take
2: you know, care like... of you. And then the other guys just kind of have to sit there in the kitchen and stew until he calls, like, Richie the whore. You know, what, Richie the pimp? What is he even called a guy? I don't Like, remember. something like that. <laughs> um, remember, because the kid comes back and he's like, hey, hey my Uncle Richie used to, like, h- like to fuck this hooker. And, like, I see them coming in here.
0: The idea of th- there being no conflict for Seagal at the end of the movie. He doesn't run out, we were saying, he doesn't run out of bullets. He doesn't really get, he gets shot, but, like, it almost seems like it's against the movie's wishes that he gets shot, like that they don't, they barely show it. He barely responds to it. They don't really seem to care about it at all. Who's doing, do you think that is at the end of the day, like in Under Siege and in this, do you think that Seagal not being able to act and producers knowing that he can't really act like he's in peril? Or do you think that's him on set being kind of like, I don't think my character would get shot? I don't think he'd run out of bullets. Well, I'm... I don't think, Mike... I think I think he'd, he's too good I for mean, that. I mean, for
1: me, I just go back to thinking about this famous stuff about, like, the Fast and Furious movies where, you know, The Rock and uh, Jason Statham and uh, Vin Diesel all have these, like, it's in their contract, like, how many times they can get hit and that kind of thing. Like, if, if Steven Seagal is a creation of Michael Ovitz and if Michael Ovitz is, like, the biggest Hollywood super agent in the world, I bet it is. I bet it's in his contract that, like... I can't get punched in a, you know, I can't ever lose a fight. Like, because that's what they think is Steven Seagal is all about is like relentlessly kicking ass of bad guys.
0: Uh, I want to know what you guys thought of the um, Greg Allman. I mean, the movie ends <laughs> with a Greg Alman, the out for justice uh, out for justice song, otherwise known as don't stand in my way, co-written by Seagal because he has a soundbite from the movie in the song. So I he, think so he got a writer a writing credit for it. <laughs> Um, and it's basically the plot it's almost the plot of the movie in it's like extreme <laughs> detail Met this bad boy back in Brooklyn with such a Tensions are high in Sunset
1: Park. Gino is catching a dog. <laughs> like
0: <laughs> And it's uh it's um played over um images from of Steven Seagal from the movie that we've already seen. Yes.
2: Which was notable. I, I thought maybe there would be like outtakes or like close ups of people smiling, but it was just like seven of the shots of Steven Seagal from a movie that we've already seen. <laughs>
0: that we've already seen that were like very clear, like It felt, again, like he went into the editing room and was like, show me what you got. I'm going to pick the best. Okay, that's my favorite. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. Put the song over that right there. And they kind of had to do it. Like, he was pretty powerful at this point. Yeah. Definitely more powerful than John Flynn. (laughs) Um, All right, guys. What a favorite part of the movie. Vadim, what's your favorite part of the movie?
2: Uh, I feel like, I mean... I do not mean favorite scene, but I just thought about that bar. I was like, there's a lot of space in there. It's like two stories, you know, like it's nice and dark. And later I was like, if somebody was stupid enough to like, be like, I am going to find a warehouse and retrofit it to look exactly like the bar in this movie. I was like, I might give it a shot. I might hang out there. That seems like a nice place. Uh,
0: Absolutely. I would go. And if it was called the out for justice bar. Yeah. I would be there enough, or heartbeat. like you know, Bobby
2: Lupo's or something. Like it would be fun. <laughs>
0: no, 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 the Out for Justice bar, just very. Ricky's literal. very
1: literal. Okay,
0: I mean
2: the best. The best part of the movie that's actually good is that car chase. Like that was fun. That like you know, yeah. worked me yeah. up a little bit. As far as like, I guess like Seagal, you know, you know, doing whatever it is that he does. I th- I I really do think it's that him like manically laughing at that like woman who tries to pick him up on the street. <laughs> Because, like, I don't even know what that reaction is supposed to be at some point. It's like laughing at our sick, twisted society or something. You know, I mean, coming from this guy, it's a little bit, it's a little bit.
0: Weird. He's a, he's supposed to be a cop, right? Yeah. Like, a co- you think a cop would be used to this. It wouldn't be so shocking it would make him laugh. That, a, that like, a, a sex worker on the streets that he patrols would not know he's a cop and would offer him what her what her... For means of employment isn't
1: this also like after this happened he pulls over to yell at a guy who looks kind of like a homeless person like hey did you hear what she said <laughs>
0: yes yes yeah, that's...
1: <laughs> i forgot about that yeah so he's
0: he's Do you hear what she said and the guy goes what'd she and say he's... he goes oh. <laughs> he just drives he off <laughs> driving <laughs> chris what are your what's well your favorite just to part
1: talk about parts. what kind of kind of what you guys were talking about um one of the things I really like is his like deeply unhinged wardrobe. I mean because we he is a cop in the movie, we don't ever see him present as a police officer in any way, not even for a second. Like he's wearing he first of all he has a ponytail, obviously that's his signature look. He's wearing a vest without a shirt. He's wearing like a weird leather jacket and like turtleneck ensemble. Like he doesn't, he doesn't ever, he looks like a Brooklyn tough guy, like the kind of guy you might actually see at Coney Island, holding a puppy, walking down the boardwalk for some reason. And you're like, can't the puppy walk? Why is he doing this? Um, but I thought that was very weird the way that he looks in the movie and the way that he's like
0: not coded as like a cop necessarily, you know? Um, this is something that he does at the beginning of Under Siege as well, where there's a whole brief, they're on a, they're on a um aircraft carrier and he's the chef and he's not wearing the whites that like a, you know, naval whites that everybody else is wearing. And he's dressed like Steven Seagal for the first five, 10 minutes of the movie. And they keep being like, you you need to put on your whites. And He's like, oh, I don't like to wear those. And like you need to put on your whites. So clearly written just so he could have a few minutes in the movie Dressed like Steven Seagal, In this
1: movie, he's just unhinged Steven Seagal the entire time in his wardrobe, which is really great. Um, yeah. But I also, I also did like the William Forsythe like character. I mean, I know I was making fun of this before, but the idea that in a in an action movie like this, that so much of the plot is taken up with like why is the bad guy killing everybody? Usually, he's nicer than this was very weird actually it's very unusual for an action movie and i thought it was really interesting you know and they don't really come up with an answer well for it's because his wife was cheating on him i guess you know and he decided to throw and his he, life and, he's, and he is smoking
2: crack cocaine this is, this they, is repeatedly brought up. and he yeah, they,
1: does, that's it
2: yeah, yeah
1: that's it that's it wow. yeah
2: and there's there is um he smokes a lot of crack cocaine in the movie. Like it is, it is a it is a legit lot no,
0: of crack no. cocaine. He's a smoking uh, crack in
1: almost every scene. It's kind movie. of a yeah. Thing, yeah.
0: My favorite. I have multiple favorite parts. I hope you guys have time. Oh God, Ricky. Please. Uh, I'll go through them quickly. First one: uh, William Forsythe sh- shooting a woman in the face. Yeah. yeah. Definitely one of my favorite parts. You know, when movie. I saw that, I was like, "Ricky's shooting- gonna love that." You knew, right? You knew. <laughs> You knew that Ricky was, like, standing up and yeah, cheering. love um, And also, um, his monologue with his wife sitting on the floor. Mm-hmm. I love that scene. Um, the guy getting his legs shot off. And, like, the sort of gratuitous lingering on the leg dangling, like, trauma style from his, his kneecap. And um, we didn't talk about it, but the final scene of the movie where he comes face-to-face with the guy who threw the dog out of the car. And... Um, he starts a fight with him. Yeah. <laughs> he just does what Steven Seagal does, which is walks over to someone, is a total asshole, and then beats the shit out of the person for getting mad oh, at I him. I forgot
1: to say this before, that, but
0: like, all, so he kicked, like you were saying, Vadim, he kicks He kicks this guy in the balls.
1: He kicks him in the balls. This movie comes within like, a centimeter of the last line being, ow, my balls. Because yeah. <laughs> that, that's it's, what the guy says when he gets kicked in the balls. And there's only one other line. And it's not even like a significant line. It's just kind of Steven Seagal muttering. I was so hopeful Al, my balls was going to be the
0: very last line in the movie. Ooh. <laughs> it's so stupid. The riff, the, the don't stand in my waist, like riff starts like, bow, bow, no, no, and he's like, Oh, Hey Vic, look over here. Is that a police dog or what? That's the line. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. oh hey Amazing, vi- amazing Um, yeah it's and again it goes back to what you were saying Vadim, that there's just a string of sadism in this movie like I know this guy threw a dog out of the car but to end the movie with him getting the shit kicked out of him and then a dog pissing on his face and it being like <laughs> <laughs> there's like something weird there again it's the hero of the movie Yeah, yeah this is supposed to be the funny I
1: guess question mark end to the movie
2: well yeah, I mean it's it's the only time in the movie where you have a triple cut in on the access. He sees the bumper sticker, right? It's a punch <laughs> in, punch in, and it's like that's that's the language of comedy, I guess, you know, like visually. Yeah.
0: Speaking of comedy, this is the movie I believe that Segal did his infamous SNL episode <laughs> for. And uh, which is it's really hard to find clips of the episode uh, on the internet because apparently, according to Lauren, it's the worst episode of S N L ever that he uh, oversaw and they all hated Seagal. But there is one clip um, online of uh, Seagal plays a father uh, to like a girl who's going out on a date with Chris Farley and Chris Farley's character is um, pretty hilarious loser. And uh, Seagal is not performing at all. He's not trying to be funny. He just keeps saying to Chris Farley, you know, I was an assassin. (laughs) But it's very, it's very strange. It's very very strange. Like he's clearly terrified of doing anything outside of like a very flat monotone. He's like terrified of being embarrassed. But it is interesting that he someone clearly went to the writers and was like Stephen wants to talk about how he was an assassin.
1: <laughs> it's an important part of his his brand that he was an assassin. So can that come up during the show?
0: Um Okay, so two more questions and then and then let's and then let's wrap it up. The next question is uh so we came out in nineteen ninety-one. So what is the most nineties thing uh about this movie? Mm. Uh Vadim, you have fallen back in thought. So I'm gonna give you yeah. a minute, a, a brief pause. I'm gonna come to you, Chris. What is the most nineties thing? About this movie uh well,
1: with a lot of the movies we talk about, because they're in this kind of liminal space between the eighties and nineties, a lot of these things sort of bleed over from the eighties. Um, but I think it's gotta be the way which we've been talking throughout the episode about um, that, the way that the movie glorifies the idea of a cop, like extrajudicially like beating the crap out of and brutalizing people like in the name of justice. Like, obviously we still have movies like that these days, like just this movie, nobody that just came out, but it's not usually done in the way where it's like a cop who's doing like police business, but in this way that's like, you know, murdery
0: well also with something like nobody i haven't seen it but if it's like the john wick movies it's like yeah, it's like a taken, part of this like very like fake wick, yeah. world and like they're all just a series of extras Whereas, like what's kind of strange about Alpha justice is that it's supposed to be this ode to the neighborhood right. it's supposed to be this like um in some in in some ways an homage to this brooklyn neighborhood that seagal says he grew up in but the majority of the movie is just him Beating the shit out of everybody, and killing everybody. Everybody
1: that he beats up is like, we've been friends since we were five years old. And then he like knocks out their teeth, you know.
0: But that space that you talk about that's that between the eighties and nineties really is the Seagal space. Yeah. Because his movies started coming out in the late 80s, but by the mid-90s, he was pretty much I don't want to say he wasn't done because he's still not done, but he was pretty much sort of on the straight to video track I think by the mid 90s. Yeah, his moment Could of stardom I think was
1: had pretty much passed by that point. Well, there's a big yeah. dividing line in culture I think in the mid 90s and a lot of the early 90s stuff just completely falls away and Steven Seagal is part of that. Yeah. I
2: think I think, you know, along with what you were saying about the um, you know, the 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 the, the the, uh, the righteousness of this authority figure going out and being the crap out of everybody that there is the, the kind of weird underpinning of family values, you know, that's supposed to like structure yes. this whole display of mayhem that is kind of taken as the, like the thing that like rules everybody, but also the other thing you mentioned earlier, the beastie boys cut, right? Like we, we can, yeah. we all know that like left to his own devices, like completely unmediated, it'd be nothing but wall to wall, blues rock. Um And like, yes. like that's his pocket there's the weird thing in under siege where like this band that everybody's very excited to see is like oh blues God, band so led by weird. TLJ, you know, like um, white blues, white blues. Like if the blues brothers was not on any level, a joke whatsoever. Blues. I mean, um, it's
1: blues hammer, right? You know? Yeah. yeah
2: definitely, it's definitely blues hammer. So the fact that he was like, cause they were at that particular moment where people were like, should, for the, for the soundtrack, should we have a, a hip hop cut? And if the, perhaps <laughs> these, you know, you know, the white guys, um, the, of course, it's, you know, the irony of the Beastie Boys soundtracking at that point in time, a quote unquote tribute to law and or that only manifests itself in mayhem, you know, kind of speaks to all the contradictions at work here. Um, but, you know, that would not have probably happened, you know, like if his career had started a little bit earlier. There would be no such musical <laughs> yeah. heterogeneity. There would
1: know. be no pressure to, like, write, bring in a little something different to the soundtrack. Absolutely not. Yeah.
0: No, yeah. It'd be the return of Bruno all over the place on this thing. Yeah. Um. Uh. The last question, Vadim, because that was your that was your answer to the question as well, right? Yeah. Okay. The last question is: Um. Um. This movie's thirty years old. The podcast is called Thirty Years Later. Um, and Chris, you kind of said it, I think, with the sort of extrajudicial yeah. like, <laughs> mayhem and murder. But what have we grown out of since this movie uh, came out? Obviously, we've grown out of Steven Seagal. Right, sure. Mm. Uh, I think. I think also what we've grown out of is our our our, our kind of action movies like this um, on a on a studio level. Like I think the move action movies have to be much more high concept now. The right. closest thing that we have to sort of like regular action movies is. Is something like John Wick, but even that is like very high concept and and Hong Kong influenced rather than this, which is just, you know, a dumb shit fighting his way through this.
1: Dumb shit fighting all his dumb shit friends. And I also think, I mean, not I think this complimentary, this is my answer, but it's like, and I've been talking about this too. But I just think something about the way the movie is in love with not martial arts and not action set pieces, but just violence, just like watching somebody's leg dangle off, watching somebody get shot in the face. You know, like all this stuff is I don't feel like you get as much this. I mean, Ricky's making a face because like Ricky only watches the worst violent movies in the world. So like, yeah, I'm sure you disagree with me.
0: Well, I'm just thinking about John Wick but this or is even the thing. Once I think, Upon a Time in no, Hollywood. But see, I think those movies like, are, you I know, think John
1: Wick is a movie that's about the art form of martial arts and it's about creativity. And like you're saying, it's this very like Hong Kong influenced, like action set pieces, creativity in, in uh, filmmaking and fight choreography. I don't think you're in it just to watch someone's like finger get bent backwards, you know.
0: I I agree, but when someone's finger does get bent backwards you are in it for the finger to get <laughs> bent backwards in that moment yeah, yeah and i mean I of mean, course we- also
2: like you know stuff like the raid you know like the whole even yeah. the, the martial arts genre and sorry i should not say martial arts genre singular but like martial arts movies have definitely gone like more violent like that's a more normalized part of these kinds of routines that it would have been like I 30 years so. ago I but so. i think i was actually my weird answer would be like you know because we've kind of we keep we cu- we keep coming back in this kind of horrified fascination, you know, to the anti charisma, to the void, and there's still something compelling about it. I think what
0: we <laughs> don't void.
2: really have anymore is the idea of a longstanding or longstanding ish star career populated by somebody who not only can't act but isn't even really trying or is trying only only on weird <laughs> terms of their own definition because you yes. know there's always that thing where he yeah, seems yeah. to think that he's marlon brando or something which is not the on the waterfront thing it's just like oh hey, you know like sometimes it looks like he's improving, except you know like who the hell knows what's going on there i think like even god you know like i'm trying to think of like who is um like the most derided you know like would-be beefcake guy of the last 15 years Probably trying a little bit harder can probably do a slightly better baseline reading. Um, like, I mean, I think it would be Vin Diesel, people. right? People used to give Vin Diesel a lot of shit, you know, and like now they. But I,
1: well, like I don't Char- know. Like Sorry, Charlie know. Hunnam, for example, is like way more complicated of an actor than you know.
2: Well, people will give Charlie Hunnam a lot Vin of, Vin lot of Diesel, shit too,
1: but like he's like he's not Steven
2: Seagal, whatever the hell he is, you know. Like there's no way.
0: Vin. I think Vin Diesel's the closest thing we have to like a Steven Seagal or a Van Dam. Right even though Vin Diesel actually can kind of speak English pretty fairly well. But I think that I also think that Vin Diesel wouldn't have the career he has if it wasn't for the Fast and Furious franchise, because I don't think there are vehicles, excuse the pun, um, for that type of performer. Well, whenever
1: he tries to do these like outside, like this movie Bloodshot, that's been one of the only movies like with a poster up for the last year. It's like, very weird doesn't make any sense like i feel like doesn't hit in the way they hope it's gonna hit i mean maybe they make whatever complicated financial targets like that movie exists to meet there there is
2: a sequel that is either already in production or completed that is coming our way to that movie
1: Oh my god! So yeah, I guess so. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, maybe I just don't watch them. So like, it, to me, it feels like it's not it's not there, but it's clearly there because they're making movies. I them. mean, I even
2: like, I mean, I was the whole the only reason I was like not going to agree with you is because I saw Find be Guilty like 15 years ago, and I remember Vin Diesel being pretty good at it. So I kind of like faith here.
0: Fair but enough. I didn't even see- the the uh, the Lumet film. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: But even, like, a guy yeah. like, um, you know, because I watch sometimes these, like, DTV um, uh, action specials that have been coming our way the last five or six years. Like, honestly, even a guy like Scott Adkins, who is a MMA fighter, like, full stop, like, he regularly takes acting lessons. He does try. You can kind of see him getting a little bit better from movie to, you know, movie to movie. Like, he's never going to do, like, a full thespian dramatic turn. I hope not. But I do think there's a presumption of competence on some level. That, and so, and I can't speak to your larger Vin Diesel point, but I just don't see there being as much patience for this kind of shit anymore. You, know? yeah. Chuck, really couldn't act that well either. Like his he, people, kind of like the fact that he was wooden. You know, like they they thought that was kind of appealing. And I think that well, thing has have, gone away a little bit.
0: You had Schwarzenegger. You had Stallone. You had Chuck. You had Seagal. And you had Van Damme, right? Those were kind of the the top guys. And yeah, well, I on. mean, I, yeah,
1: I think yeah, yeah. the uh, American idea of what a tough guy is has moved on. And I mean, I think somebody like Chuck Norris, like you're saying people like that he was wooden. It's because there was a large segment of society that were people like that. Like that was one of the big types of people in, in America. And I think it's sort of moved on now to the idea of um, a tough guy like cares so much. You know, it's kind of what Seagal is trying to do in this movie, but very unsuccessfully. I mean, I'm just thinking of, like, The Rock. Like, how in every movie, The Rock is, like, has a daughter that he's trying to protect, you know? Like, that's that's the sort of idea is, like, I'm so, I care so much that I'm willing to, like, you know, blow up a nuclear missile while I'm riding on it kind of a thing, you know?
0: But The Rock has a, The Rock has a Schwarzenegger, a 90s Schwarzenegger charm, right? Where he can actually land a joke he can actually be, he does have like a big, great smile. Oh, he's a great Seagal, comedic actor,
1: I think. yeah, he's
0: Seagal just doesn't have any of that. I just want to say, I just realized, and then we'll wrap things up. But the, Chris, you had said that the movie's a centimeter away from having the last line be, ow, my balls. But the last shot of the movie, if you don't count, the um the reel of scenes that had already played that play during the credits. The last shot of the movie is the guy laying on the dock in the boardwalk holding his dick, <laughs> like laying on the ground holding his balls and they're walking away in the background. The last shot is a man being like, <gasps>
1: just like, what is this movie up to? Stuff. Like, what is this? What is this? It's one of those, like if somebody tells you who they are, you believe them.
2: And if you if there's a reason... <laughs> <laughs> If there's a reason to think that it's more complicated than that, then maybe you should question that. But there's no real reason to think that in this case, you know, like,
0: yeah, we know who this
2: guy is. Like, he tried to tell us one thing in public. What's a little bit remarkable about his career is that, you know, like, as time has gone on, Chuck, Arnold, everybody's obviously gone revisions of character, often in a negative direction, public perception. With Seagull, it was within like five years of him getting out.
1: <laughs> it's like immediately, yeah. It's
2: it's it's become part of his aura and whatever this thing is that allows him to have multiple seasons of Lawman. You know, like it's actually it's not exactly weaponized because it's not conscious on some level, but it's 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 like a thing that was part and parcel almost from the very beginning.
0: Who was your guys' favorite of these of these guys? Let's wrap it out, let's wrap it out strong. Or no, first off, favorite Seagull movie. Oh You know, this
1: is where I have to say I haven't really seen any of them. This was the first time I had ever seen this movie. This was the first time I'd ever seen it. So I don't know, this one, I guess.
2: I mean, after after having, I used to say this, but I hadn't rewatched it. And I also hadn't watched Under Siege until two nights ago. And Under Siege is pretty good every time he's not talking. And he's only (laughs) in the movie for 41 minutes out of the running time so like you know by kind of almost mathematical definition it's got to be like the best of the bunch for sure i know i know i should really say like on deadly ground which is its own kind of of thing but um i think you know like if you actually it's like um, the only one that's actually kind of good you know like and he's underage yeah for sure
0: yeah it's the same director as above the law which is generally generally my 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 favorite of his movies for the um for the CIA the CIA story and the the refugees in the church basement I kind of, I like I like that plot line um so out of Seagal, Chuck Arnold Stallone Van Dam mm. where do you guys where do you guys rest I, where do you lay your head? I mean
1: it's a complicated question uh, I'll just say off the top of my head it's Schwarzenegger like I think he definitely has the best movies out of all of those people like that's true and definitely yeah. and, and in a way seems to be like a not the worst person he put out all those videos about how he hates donald trump right you know like, que- quest-
2: questionable sexual relations while in office, yeah, and of seems office. Like, a, like but a he, does, office, he, right? he does he does have
1: a family that whole thing yeah.
2: yeah he does have the best track record out of any of those guys unless you're one of those like diehard late period stallone apologists which i just don't <laughs> have it in me to be um
1: just cop and on like that <laughs>
2: uh yeah i know some people who will like really try to explain to you why like the last three rambo movies are like really essential viewing and i can't can't really get into this or however many there were um yeah i think it's got to be arnold it's just because and it's i don't know if that makes him smart or if he has a better agent or what it is because like arnold's thing for me always like the guy can't fight right like that's why he's always lifting up trees and firing large guns like there's mm-hmm. parts of commando where like he throws a punch and like there's one of like in the elevator and he throws a punch and actually like he falls backwards because <laughs> he's just too big. His body's not built to do that. His body's built to lift.
0: Um, there's a there's a story that I just heard while I was researching this that Dana Carvey told about when Seagal hosted SNL and they were trying to do he told it on stern and I apologize to anybody listening that I'm retelling a story that was told by a celebrity on another show that's so boring. But he tells a story about how they were doing those those Hans and Franz characters, right? Where they uh they do like the Arnold impression and they're obsessed with Arnold and they go oh, the girly man And they were doing it to Seagal. And the bit was that they weren't impressed with Steven Seagal because they love Arnold. And when they were done shooting the rehearsal, Seagal pulled them aside and was like, I could kick Arnold's ass. I could beat the shit out of Arnold. Like, this is insane. I could beat the shit out of Arnold. And like, so I had to go rewrite it and say, and, and perform it as Mr. Seagal. You're the only one that we love other than Arnold. You're so much better than Arnold. And then, Apparently, like, years later, Dana Carvey was in a restaurant that Arnold was in, and he went up and told Arnold that Stephen Seagal said that he could kick his ass. And Arnold was, like, smoking a cigar, and he just leaned back with the cigar and said, is that right? (laughs) ha (laughs) But then one of the things that Carvey said was like Stern was like, "Wow, he must have been so mad." And Carvey was like, "No, Arnold doesn't, doesn't give, give a shit. shit. He's way too smart. Yeah, right. He does way too smart for that stuff." And I think there is something to be said for his choice in movies, and that there was a maybe a a, a little more brains behind, behind back back behind in um, nineteen
2: ninety. People asked the question, right? Kindergarten Cop was not just his attempt to follow up on the comedy train of Twins; it was um, as you know done. Either right during or right after it had been announced that he had been appointed by President George H. W. Bush to head the President's Council on Fitness in Schools, and at the yeah. time, some people were like, "He's always kind of had political rumblings. Is this a way of kind of advancing his career towards office?" Um, you know. And at the time, I was like, "That's ridiculous." Looking back, I'm like, "I don't know. It seems entirely possible." You know,
1: that yeah, like kindergarten absolutely. cop was part of a decades long push to put him in like Stranger the Things. Political?
0: <laughs> Um guys, thanks so much for being here, Vadim. Uh good to see you. Thanks for coming on. Where should people go to uh to check out your work? Filmmaker magazine. Yeah, please, filmmakermagazine.com.
2: Uh or like you can go on my Twitter, but it's mostly dumb jokes, which is at VResolve. But yeah, the Filmmaker magazine will pretty much do it.
0: Awesome. Great. Thanks so much for being here. Thank Bye so guys. Show, Don't stand in the day. way. you a bad guy, You're a nice guy.